Are you ready to be transported back to 1800s high society London? Because season three of Bridgerton is now playing only on Netflix. This season follows the story of the Tons resident wallflower, Penelope Featherington, as she undergoes a journey of self-discovery and empowerment where we see her truly blossom. Penn's emotional transformation takes centre stage as her friendship with the charming Colin Bridgerton evolves into something more. For those not yet acquainted, Colin, the charming younger brother of the Bridgerton family, is about to turn Penelope's world upside down. Mm, This is the ultimate good friends to lovers story. From those initial butterflies to when both parties realise there might be something more between them, watch Bridgerton Season 3, now playing only on Netflix. And welcome to Shameless, the celebrity and pop culture podcast for smart women who really love dumb stuff. You're joined, as always, by Melbourne journalists Michelle Andrews and Zara McDonald. Hello. Coming up on today's show, the strange case of the Daily Telegraph trying to take on an influencer for doing her job. Kendall Jenner takes the red carpet in another naked dress and the Miss Universe controversy making international headlines. But first, Michelle, how was your week? It was a good week. It was a week that was just dogged by anxiety the entire time. I don't know what it is about this time of year, but when I saw my psychologist on Thursday, she commented that it is by far the busiest period for people to go see their psychologists or like seek mental health support. I saw a good tweet the other day that said December is the dumbest time of year because it's the time of year that we are all collectively falling apart and it's the same time of year that we're all expected to be the most social. Yeah well I don't know what it is. I feel like it's almost that it's coming to the end of the year and we're preparing for 2019 and I don't know I'm just getting in my head so much and there are a few confrontational things that happened this week and I don't like confrontation. I know that I'm very forthright with my opinion but when it comes... Shut up. When it comes to actually having someone come at you or approach me in a bit of a confrontational way, I struggle with that and it makes me extremely anxious. So yeah, I've been exercising a lot, which is the way I mostly deal with my anxiety. So I've been on the Stairmaster a heap this week. Should I even ask what the Stairmaster is? It's like, have you ever seen Khloe Kardashian's workout videos? Absolutely not. She loves the Stairmaster. It's literally a stair machine. It's exactly what it sounds like. That sounds terrible. Yeah. it's No, it's my favorite form of cardio, if I'm honest. Uh, my only recommendation this week would be I was scammed by a celebrity influencer, which mm. was a piece in Medium that one of our lovely listeners put in our Facebook group. I did see this one. This was an interesting piece. Yes. So this was about Aggie Lull, who is more commonly known as at travel in her shoes on Instagram. She ran a get Instagram famous quick course. Mm, As you do. Yeah. Charged $500 for 500 people to join. Do the maths. It's a lot of money. Yeah. Did a few weeks and then kind of just ghosted everyone and didn't give refunds and didn't really deliver on most of her promises. I found the tone of this piece very interesting because if we were talking about scamming or fraud by someone who wasn't a celebrity influencer, I wonder if we'd have the same kind of jokey, light, this is absurd kind of tone. Yeah, I feel like we would be really condemnatory towards anyone who scammed their customers. But when it comes to a celebrity influencer and it comes to a whole tribe of women who clearly wanted to become Instagram famous... We don't really care because we see them as a bit idiotic and a bit narcissistic. There's a there's a kind of feeling of victim blaming maybe going on here. Although I have to say $500 is a very small price to pay for Instagram fame if it worked. I would just buy some bots. Buy some bots. Just do it the old-fashioned way. <laughs> just get real hot real fast. <laughs> What about you? My week was pretty good. It was one of those chaotic close to Christmas weeks where I am slowly starting to fall apart. I think the the year is maybe catching up to me. <laughs> Otherwise, the week was fine. I have to say, in terms of my recommendation, I would like to address my anti-recommendation last week, which was the celebrity interviewing the celebrity. Continue. I have to say it wasn't as unpopular an opinion as I thought. About you hating Dak Shepard's celebrity and podcast. And Anna Faris's. However, that said, everybody encouraged me to listen to Dak Shepard interview with Sophia Bush on his Armchair Expert. And I did enjoy it. It took me a little bit to get in because, you know, they don't know how to get to the point very fast. 
but the the content of the interview was pretty brilliant, I have to say. Oh, so I'm right. Well, she went into detail about her divorce with Chad Michael Murray on the set of One Tree Hill. And that as, was so interesting. As a massive One Tree Hill fan, it seemed like there was so much juice coming out. Mm-hmm. Um, she spoke a lot about her departure from uh, the television show Chicago. And she sort of shed a lot of light on the gritty reality of being young and female in that kind of industry where you are sort of taking it for a ride a lot. Mm. So just to clarify, last week you were giving this as an anti-recommendation for people to avoid and exactly seven days later you're now telling us to listen to it. I think it's endearing admitting occasionally <laughs> you are wrong. Although I'm not, going full, I'm not going full 180 on this because I still don't like the genre of interview. But I will say if you are so inclined, go and listen to that one. If I were you, I'd go listen, basically. Before we move into the first segment, we do need to address this meme battle that's going on between us on Instagram. I didn't know there was one. There was, there has been one for weeks now. We both know it. I feel like the listeners are trying to guess, trying to guess whose meme is whose. So maybe over the Christmas period, we need to kind of have a bit of a meme battle. Whoever's memes get more likes wins. I have an easy way. Did you laugh? It was mine. See, the we did put a poll up midweek and I asked, is this meme good or is it bad? It's Zara's. And I think my problem was it wasn't a bad meme. Your memes are just mediocre memes, whereas my memes are great memes. So most people voted, no, it's a fine meme, when really no, they no, were just they being said, nice. No, it's a fab meme. That's what they voted for. I mean, I'm not really going to get into this because I have to say on the scale of things I care about, this doesn't really register. <laughs> we do have a lot of conversations throughout the week about our different meme preferences. Because I send them to you because I'm trying to help with the social media I just get shut down every time <laughs> anyway moving right along let's start with Jade Tunji because there was a very interesting article that garnered a little bit of attention in our Facebook group particularly after um, she appeared in the Daily Telegraph this week yes yeah, so this was a story written by Annabelle Hennessy in the Daily Telegraph it not only appeared online but in their print publication which I forgot print publications even existed to no be you didn't how's how the hyperbole I just haven't bought a newspaper since maybe year seven. It did interest me. So this article was talking about how Jade apologized to her followers. Or I don't I don't think apology is the right word. She acknowledged that she's doing a lot of sponsored content at the moment coming into Christmas because there's a lot of work around. And she told her followers that if they weren't interested in it or if they didn't like it, that they were welcome to unfollow. The Daily Telegraph picked this story up and ran it in their paper, which I think is a more interesting point than most people would give it credit for because the people that are reading the Daily Telegraph paper are not the kind of people that will know who Jade Tunchi is. Yeah, they're potentially the kind of people who don't even have an Instagram account. Which is exactly the point, I think, because there was some serious undertones in this piece about how they don't take influencers very seriously, I think, and that's why they put a half a page spread of Jade in a bikini talking about her work. Yeah, they framed her as illegitimate, basically, as a career woman. And I know, I know that influencing is not on par with some other jobs. There are other jobs like nursing and teaching that, require far more labor than being an Instagram influencer does. However, what annoys me no end about this conversation and this disdain towards influencers is you cannot deny that there's demand for what they do and there's proof that it works. If brands want to sell products to women our age, where are they going to go? We're not watching mainstream television. We're not reading newspapers. We're not really picking up magazines anymore. We're all on Instagram. And these Instagram influencers have so much analytics and data behind them to prove that they can sell products to women our age. So what are they supposed to do? Yeah, just not use it because people don't like it. I don't think that there's a huge amount of disdain for sponsored content around us because I think we know, I mean, when I say around us, I mean in our demographic because I think we know that we have the power to unfollow. But I think it's exactly the point that you said in that if you want to reach someone like you or I, An Instagram campaign is probably the easiest way to go about it because I'm on my phone all the time. I mean, I was thinking this week when we were thinking about this story, if I was to say the a campaign like maybe the Drinkwise campaign that went on on Instagram a couple of weeks ago, and I have to say there was maybe seven or eight Instagram influencers on my feed that were doing that, and by the eighth time I thought, wow, okay, I really get the point. And then I stood back and thought, I'm tiring of this, and that's exactly the point because this message is being rammed home and I can't escape it. Yeah, and I loved that. The internet never forgets was the whole crux of that campaign. Yeah, and it was talking about drinking safely and wisely, which is an incredible 
important message for young people. Especially around the festive season. I agree. I really love that campaign. I also had a conversation with an influencer a couple of weeks ago about this exact problem that there is so much hatred towards influencers for simply posting sponsored content but she put it to me in a really interesting way she said could you honestly turn down five thousand dollars if a brand said all you need to do is post an instagram feed post and three instagram stories and we'll give you five grand I could not turn that down. I don't know anyone that would. And that's why I find this issue very interesting because assuming the campaigns aren't unhelpful or bad for for women or young people, why do people care? I think it has elements of greed to it. Not saying that I think that that any of these people are greedy, but I think maybe that's what people think. But I challenge them. They've got a contract in front of them for five grand and all they need to do is a handful of posts on Instagram. Who is turning that down? See, I think it's more of a minimizing thing that... People who aren't in the social media space potentially think that these women have no right to ask for all this money or get all this money for what they're doing because they're just posting selfies. But I honestly believe that being an influencer requires a lot more than that. And I think we also need to keep in mind that Jade Tunchi, for example, may have been on Instagram for six, seven years. Her paid capacity in that time was probably only a handful of time out of that entire span on Instagram. And then her earning potential out of being an Instagram influencer is not as long as your earning potential as a teacher or a nurse or a journalist. It's only going to be a handful of years. So why the fuck wouldn't you capitalize on it? Well, that's exactly the point because this isn't an industry that has a heap of longevity to it and they have to jump on these opportunities when they come. It's also worth considering that coming into Christmas, a lot of these people don't have paid leave, sick leave, things like that. It's going to quieten down in January and February because most businesses and most retailers sort of quieten down after that point. When we're talking about, well, they shouldn't earn X amount of money because all they do is take selfies. Well, who fed that beast? We did. We fed the Instagram beast because we loved it so much. We followed the people we thought were worth following and they made money off that. So we can't pretend that we are sitting here totally uninvolved from the entire sort of sphere. Yeah, and it comes back to exactly what this podcast is really about. Like traditional celebrities, yeah, they're important, but they're not really that important in 2018 unless they're online and they play that Instagram influencer role. Who is going to reach us and who do we look to to influence us if it's not the people on social media? They just don't exist. Well, for this, for me, this really spoke to the divide between old and new media. The Daily Telegraph not quite understanding the eyes and the ears that influencers demand and very much denigrating that without understanding sort of the gravitas that they carry. Yeah. And I think the final message is that we have control. We're not powerless. If you don't like it, if you don't like seeing someone promote Australia Post, which isn't exactly an offensive campaign to get behind. Love me some Australia Post, especially when they're fast. I was there this morning. You don't have to follow them. You don't have to like the photo. You can just scroll on past or unfollow and remove them from your feed. It's an unusual conversation to even have, really. Totally, that you can craft the feed that you want Mm -hmm. and anyone can be a walking billboard if they want all power to them if they're making money from it. Yeah, and Jade Tunji, all power to you if you're going to make money off Australia Post. Fucking do it. (laughs) I hear her hair is insured for $10,000. I hear she does car commercials in Japan. Her favorite movie is Varsity Blues. One time she met John Stamos on a plane and he told her she was pretty. One time she punched me in the face. It was awesome. And now it's time for the quick and dirty. Each week we bring you the top celebrity stories from the news cycle that you may have missed while you're busy having a life. Zara, you're taking it away. I certainly am. My first story. Kim Kardashian warns Drake to never threaten her family as she wades into genius husband Kanye West's latest very public feud from the Daily Mail. Very confusing headline, Daily Mail. Not sure who edited that one. Latest very public feud. Latest very public feud. Hmm. Anywho, (laughs) anyway. (laughs) I also love the visualization of Kim Kardashian wading into a genius husband's feud. I know we're actually meant to talk about the story itself, but I would love to just settle on this headline for a bit. Wade into genius. Adjectives galore. It is, it is. And capitalization galore. Anyway, so for those who missed it, Kanye West went a bit active on Twitter again. He did. He did the thing that he is becoming quite well known for, and that is what a tweet every 15 seconds trying to tell some sort of story. Yeah, I don't know if 
if I read too much into it, but I'm pretty sure one of the tweets was accusing Drake of involvement in different murders as well. I actually didn't understand it because I didn't have the time or inclination to read every single tweet. But the idea is that he's saying very publicly that Drake is threatening his family. Yes, something along those lines. And I'm actually a little bit surprised that Kim Kardashian and Kanye West are still together. I've got to be honest. Because it just seems like every time she defends him, he's not good for her brand. He seems very unhinged. And I don't know, it just seems like an unusual pairing now. It feels like he's constantly dragging her through the press and through very public feuds, as Daily Mail Australia puts it. I wouldn't be surprised if in 2019 we see a divorce announcement between these two. They have lasted a little bit longer than I ever would have thought they have. Kim Kardashian, I think you're right. There is something interesting about what this does to her brand. Although how much damage can it feasibly do now? I mean, has it sort of hit its peak? And now how much, honestly, how much more damage can it do? I don't know. I just think Kim Kardashian has a history of distancing herself from anyone who damages her reputation. And I think... Kanye West and her marriage seems to be a bit of a sore point. If you look at any of the interviews that she gives, for example, on Alan, it's interesting when she, when Alan prods Kim about their marriage, she'll always go, oh, he's a great dad. And I just find that to be a really interesting response. I think that's fair though. I wonder if she genuinely does see the the genius, not that I necessarily do, but maybe she sees it and maybe she sees it as her responsibility to defend it. I don't know, clearly, because I don't know either of them from a bar of soap. But I do find it interesting that every single time this happens and it makes news, she does stand by him. Yeah. Next. Next. Modern Family star Sarah Hyland reveals second kidney transplant. That is from the Sydney Morning Herald. She has been through so much. I was fascinated to see how candidly she spoke about suicidality and having suicidal ideation. For anyone who missed it, Sarah Hyland did an interview, I think it was with Paper Magazine, where she was speaking about how she went through this mental process of wanting to reject her brother's kidney. She had already accepted her father's. It happened a few years ago, had the kidney transplant, and then her body slowly rejected the kidney. And it was kind of a completely failed procedure. And her dad gave up his kidney for nothing. That would be incredibly traumatic. Yes. So then her brother came forward. He's a match and said, I'll give you my kidney. And she went through this whole process of feeling like it would be easier just to kill myself than to have my family members give up their organs for me. That is incredibly heavy. Yes. I really encourage anyone to go listen to it. I think she really shed a lot of light on what it's like to live with an invisible chronic illness as well. She Mm -hmm. has a condition that actually means she's got kidney failure and problems constantly. She's also struggled with endometriosis and a whole range of issues. So she's also a super interesting person to follow on Instagram. She's got millions of followers and I chucked her a follow this week and really enjoy looking at her. Chucked her one, did you? Chucked her one. She was in the news a couple of weeks ago after her cousin died as well. Did you read about that? Mm -hmm. I thought this was really interesting in that she had linked to a GoFundMe page, um, raising money for his family and, and sort of the funeral costs. And people gave her a lot of crap for that, which I think is unfair because we actually do not have any idea of the financial scenario that she might be in, her family might be in, the reasons for it, how close they might be. And then this health stuff too. And so many people misreported that saying that she began the GoFundMe, which is just categorically wrong. She simply shared a link. And if you're paying, kidney transplants don't come cheap. The American healthcare system isn't great. Who knows how much she's forked out for different medical procedures? She may well have money, but I just don't think it's our responsibility to, to have a comment on that at Exactly all. right. All right, what's your third story? Number three, you're moving me right along here. Your smile lights up a room. Chris Pratt confirms new romance from news.com. Got to confess, I know nothing about this. She's a, a Schwarzenegger. A what? A Schwarzenegger. I'm just going to make you keep saying that because you've struggled three times and we're going to cut that out, I'm guessing. I probably will cut it out because I'm editing this week, but I absolutely cannot pronounce Schwarzenegger for the life of me. So what type of Schwarzenegger is she? A, a kind of, a female kind. Okay. No, so she is the daughter of Maria Shiver and um, ah. Arnold Schwarzenegger. Yeah, so she is from a very famous family and mm. the Instagram post itself when he said happy birthday it was sort of a collage of photos because of course it's your birthday what else do you get than a collage of photos on Instagram but it was very sweet and they look very sweet together does she look like Anna Faris not at all oh, she I has a kind of real girl next door look to her she looks quite a little younger than Anna Faris I actually don't know how old she is she, she probably could just be one of those people 
that has a youthfulness to her, but she doesn't look like Anna Faris at all. Interesting. Number four, Duchess Megan can't stop touching her growing belly. That is from news.com as well. Okay, this story was infuriating. Not Wasn't just from it? news.com. I think the commentary around the world was infuriating. It was very bizarre. So Meghan Markle turned up at the British Fashion Awards as a surprise to award Claire Waite Keller an award there who designed her very famous wedding dress. And as she stood on stage, she sort of cupped her belly as pregnant women tend to do because, you know, there's a baby growing inside of you. And all social media commentary focused on that act itself. I don't know why we are trying to catch Meghan Markle out as some type of bitch or insincere person. What is it with the witch hunt? I don't get it. It's sort of come out of nowhere, hasn't it? So they had their tour of Australia, which went down here quite well. And then almost the minute they went back to London, we just had this wave of publicity that was overwhelming in its negativity about her. It does feel, regardless if it's true or not, it feels so nasty, so overwhelming, like I said. And she doesn't have any ability to address it, which I think is almost the most unfair point and what probably fuels it even more. Yeah, and I also feel like it's so gendered. I'm sorry. It totally is. Who actually gives a crap? If her and Kate don't get along, who cares? How many sisters-in-law would not get along across the world? They didn't pick each other. They're not together to be best friends they're together by circumstance does it actually really matter if they don't actually get along not at all and I think what's most interesting about how this story is being reported out is that there are stories about Megan and and Kate not getting along and then very much buried in those stories are smaller stories about how Harry and Will are fighting at the moment apparently because their wives are and that's not the lead because it's not as interesting. It's it's a it's a male and male fight. It's not a cat fight. So we don't care. What just feeds that narrative that women can't get along? Exactly. So I think it's an, a crazy amount of press. I would love to do anything we can to not feed it. I just think the more people that can come out and slam that kind of press because she can't herself, the better. Just don't even click on it. I literally scroll through it. my feed and see so many Megan stories that just feel so incredibly made up. I'm exhausted by it. But they must get so much traffic because so many publications have half of their homepage as royal stories. Exactly. And number five, The Bachelors, Maddie J and Laura Byrne confirm Laura is pregnant with their first child. That is from Elle Australia. I'm so happy about this. Isn't that a lovely story? So Maddie J and Laura did an interview with the Daily Telegraph this weekend about falling pregnant and miscarrying a couple of months ago. Yeah, they got pregnant again really quite quickly after that happened. I just... I feel so happy every time I hear a bachelor couple has actually stayed together and had a baby or gotten married. I think it's really gorgeous. And these two, I know that Maddie J's season was not the most popular and I know not everyone loved Laura Byrne. I'm not sure why. I thought she was awesome. I think they seem like the most genuine bachelor couple possibly to come out of the franchise. They're not really in the public eye. They kind of just go about their relationship and their business quietly. It's very good point. They are kind of floating through now. They're not really demanding much publicity at all, which I think is to be commended because it would be tantalizing being in the public eye and having so much access to publicity. Do you think they sold this interview? Because I don't think they did. I'm not sure Daily Telegraph would pay for oh, yeah, that. Yeah, I was just going to say I'm not sure they can. They would have I gone mean, to... they can, but I don't know if they would have paid for this. They would have gone to Woman's Day or New Idea if so they were selling it which so many bachelor couples would and i really commend maddie j and laura for not doing that yeah the the big bucks would have come from the woman's bags for sure so very interesting point that is all i've got for you today thank you so much If Kendall Jenner had a look of 2018, it was without a doubt the naked dress. It all began in May with a see-through mini dress at Chopard's Secret Night Party. The next day at Cannes Film Festival, she adopted the naked look again. In September, she did it at Longchamp's 70th anniversary party. And now, in December, the 23-year-old has walked the runway at the British Fashion Awards in her fourth naked dress of the year. It was a golden, sheer, long-sleeved Julian McDonald dress where her bare breasts and bum were on full display. Zara, it begs the question, why are female stars stripping down when male celebrities are doing anything but? Pardon the pun, hey? But. I think this is a really complex conversation to have because there are two major and pretty important forces at play. 
One is that women shouldn't be reduced to their clothing and our fixation on fashion can undermine the woman in the clothes. But then two, that fashion is undeniably political and so tied up in identity and brand, particularly if you're a celebrity. I don't know firmly where I sit on Kendall Jenner. I This idea that we can't critique her, I think is wrong. I think we can absolutely critique any clothes that a famous person like her, she wears because they wear it for a point. It's branding. It's important. They know exactly what's going to make headlines. But in terms of whether I care about her wearing a naked dress, I don't think I do. See, I've struggled with this since she first made this a trend earlier in the year. And I've gone back and forth in my own mind and I've done lots of reading about it. And I even had a bit of a disagreement with a couple of listeners in our Facebook group this week, because I think there's a really important distinction to make. I'm not criticizing Kendall Jenner, the person I'm critiquing a system that makes women feel like nakedness is their most valuable commodity. I think that is the crux of where I have a problem with naked dresses because we are not seeing attractive men go naked down a catwalk. And a lot of the commentary that I saw on social media, particularly pedestrians post this week, pedestrian was slammed for covering this by a lot of women who said, how dare you criticize what a woman wears? Let her wear whatever the hell she wants. She looks amazing. This is such jealousy, blah, blah, blah. I reject that because how many attractive men were at that event? Some of the most attractive men in the world. How many of them felt like they needed to walk down practically naked to get a photograph of them on a major publication how many times has chris hemsworth stripped off and shown his bare butt cheeks or bare pecs or arms on a catwalk he doesn't feel the need to despite being like kendall one of the most attractive people in the world chris hemsworth knows that his value does not lie in being naked i have a problem with telling female celebrities or influencing female celebrities and females in general to feel like they need to take layers off to be relevant I don't think every woman feels like that. And this is certainly not a new thing. Naked dresses have been a thing since the dawn of time. The reason I feel less inclined to care about Kendall's dress is because she's never particularly political in her nakedness. She's not saying she's getting naked in some misguided feminist act. And she's certainly not saying that she's getting naked for any other reason than she just looks hot and it will probably make her money. She's not a hypocrite. I actually find her more transparent in her motivations than most other celebrities. This is her shtick and her brand. And of all of the things I think that aren't good for women, this isn't topping my list because I don't know what we do from here. Unfortunately, in this climate, and it has been for a very long time, a woman's currency is Sure, in her brain and her intellect, but also in her looks. So what do you expect? And I am saying this hypothetically because I don't know the answer. What do you expect a high-profile woman who looks like Kendall Jenner to do? To leverage off that or to not leverage off that? Do you think that she's a public service where she shouldn't take her clothes off because she's buying into the patriarchy or what Jamila Jamil calls being a double agent for the patriarchy? Why is that on her? Well, it's not, but this is the thing. I think it's also on us to then think really critically. Yes. What frustrates me is when we try to have a conversation about these things and it's instantly put down as woman bashing or woman hating because I'm not. I think it is just such a stark juxtaposition to see fully clothed men with only their hands and their necks and their faces on display on these red carpets and women who are in various states of undress. And I know it is a paradox and I know it doesn't make complete sense because I have gotten my cleavage out in the past. I'm wearing a crop top today with a pair of high-waisted jeans. I know that that's not an outfit that a man would wear. And there are so many varying degrees of nakedness that women are expected to go through. But this level of nakedness is jarring in my mind, particularly because I think there's two prongs, right, to how I'm feeling. Number one, I think regardless of whether you're a man or a woman, your bare bum should not be on display at a formal black tie event. I think that might be prudish to some people. It might be classist, but I don't think you should have your bare butt cheeks on display at a public event where people don't necessarily opt in to watching your naked body. I think they do if it's a red carpet at a fashion event. They opt in to whatever creative expression you want to be a part of. Agree to disagree. I don't think it's appropriate. Number two is 
I don't like the juxtaposition. I just don't like it. I think there is a problem. And I think if we're looking at a catwalk where Kendall Jenner is basically naked and every other male celebrity is fully clothed, I think there is a problem. And I think it is something that we should discuss without simply moving past it and going, she's doing it because she looks hot. Leave her alone. Plenty of guys are hot. They don't do it. Okay. I agree with that because anything, I think it's worth critiquing and analyzing anything that women do that men aren't expected to do. I think that's a very fair point. Where my issue lies is that if you want to start policing Kendall, then we actually do need to police ourselves too, which is exactly what you said. You need to dive into why we get our tits out or why we get a thigh-high split in our dress because that's an element of nakedness that some people wouldn't like. I think you then need to delve into formal wear for men and for women. You look at the races. It might be freezing cold or at some kind of formal event. Why are men allowed to wear four different layers and women are expected to wear a dress? My concern is where is your line? If your line is ass cheek, that seems a little vague. Well, this is the thing. I think the dichotomy between what women wear and what men wear isn't good as it is. I don't think what women are wearing is necessarily great. And I don't think what men are expected to wear is great either. I think it's so black and white that a man wears a suit and is completely covered up and a woman wears a revealing dress and has a thigh high split and has her cleavage out. I don't think either is right. I think there needs to be more gray area between what men and what women feel like they can wear at a formal event to be attractive. But it is bizarre to me that when you think of sexy men or idealized sexy men in your head, they are always clothed, Where it's a, whether it's a suit or a uniform, a man is at his sexiest. Excuse me, have you seen Channing Tatum in Magic Mike? No, but think about it. When you go, oh, policemen look so attractive in their uniforms. I've never said that. Or firemen <laughs> look so attractive in their uniforms. Am- think about it. Ha- Halloween costumes. I men know. are normally dressed, whereas women are undressed. And I just... I don't know. I find it so frustrating because we don't see guys walking down the catwalk with their testicles hanging out. And yet Kendall Jenner will walk down a a catwalk with her bum hanging out. I get your point. I do get your point. But what my confusion is, is coming from a far more pragmatic point of view, is that it's a more helpful conversation to have a conversation about men and women and fashion. Mm -hmm. Because the minute you bring someone's ass into it, it does sound a little slut shamey sometimes. Not you in particular, but the way that people talk about it can be a little slut shamey especially when we're talking about, you know, there was conversations around Kendall turning up with her ass out in front of royalty because Meghan Markle was at this thing. Yeah, I didn't and like the headline. The headline was It bullshit. feels to me as if bearing skin and having tact are very closely tied. And I don't think that's a rabbit hole we want to go down. I don't know how helpful it is us talking about skin and how much we should be showing in these conversations because I don't know if it's helpful, truly. I... I want to go back, though, to talking about fashion because I think it goes, it plays right into why you're allowed to have the opinion that you're having. We cannot possibly say that fashion doesn't matter. There was a great piece that Jo Ellison wrote, who is the Financial Times fashion editor, and she said, clothes are a language by which we are judged, a shorthand that allows us to communicate with others, an expression of our feelings of self-worth or status. If we're talking about Kendall Jenner in this kind of context, It's very important to think about why she's doing it because this is not her just pulling a dress off a rack. This is her sitting in a room with a group of people, stylists, branding experts, Kardashians, who are saying, this is how you dress and this is your brand and what does that say about you? And the naked dress has become her brand. As we said in the intro, this is a decision she has made four times for four of the biggest red carpets she's attended this year. So this is something she wants people to talk about at the same time. I don't want people to come back at this and be like, how dare you discuss what she wears? Because at the end of the day, she's a Kardashian. Her job is to make us talk about her and she's succeeding in that by wearing these naked dresses because she wants to be in publications. She knows that she's being provocative and she wants people like you and I to give her more publicity again and again and again. You're welcome, Kendall. You're welcome, Kendall. Keeping the brand alive. Well, then this is my other thought, right? When you talk about pedestrian writing about this dress, is that the problem too, that we are feeding it, that you and I are feeding it, that pedestrian are feeding it, that maybe it would be less of an issue if we just ignored it? Or is that your issue then, that we're not allowed to critically analyze? I think we should be able to critically analyze. I really liked what Hadley Freeman wrote in The Guardian. This was around the time when uh, I think it was an actress took her clothes off who identifies as a feminist, and there was a whole lot of furor about that. And she wrote, The suggestion that women should unthinkingly celebrate one another purely out of sisterly feeling is about as patronizing as the idea that women shouldn't trouble their brains with opinions. And I agree with that. I think... If we're going to say, just let her live, why do we have to think so critically and analytically about everything? 
Because so many decisions are political, particularly when you have hundreds of millions of followers like Kendall Jenner does. I really also liked the piece in Vogue by Rennie Edo Lodge earlier this year that said any personal liberation of what one chooses to clothe their body in is clouded by the misogynistic backdrop of the world we live in. And I think that's true. I think so many of the decisions we make are guided or influenced by the patriarchy. And I don't want this to sound like a gender studies class, but it's true. I don't think we all need to stop showing skin because I this year wore a thigh high split with not a lot of cleavage, but the dress was tight and it was fitted and it was to a red, it was to a black tie event. I did that, but I still think it's worth being cognizant of the forces that shape our opinions and our decisions. Okay. So I think we've come kind of to a point where we do agree because I think it's worth being self-aware enough to say, I buy into this too. I do buy into it in almost every decision that we make. And I think making Kendall Jenner the face of this discussion makes people feel like, A, you are, and I say you, I mean generally. we Universal are, you. Yeah, attacking her or B, making the clothes a problem when in reality, neither of those things are the problem. When you say everything we do wear is political, whether we say it or not, it's true. Vanessa Friedman, who is a brilliant fashion writer, um, she is a New York Times fashion columnist. In an interview with Elle when she was named New York Times fashion columnist, she said, I love fashion a lot because it's the front line of identity politics. How people look and how they use their image to communicate something about themselves has become incredibly important. And it's something that people have to overtly think about and deal with in a way that maybe 30 years ago they didn't. I think that's very important too, because we are sort of in this era of the brand and the personal brand and Kendall Jenner wearing something consistently, not just once, but more than once, because it generates a certain amount of discussion is important to look at. Whether or not I care about it, I think is a separate issue. Yeah. And I think we can wear whatever we want. It's true. Choice feminism means that your choice is your choice and you're allowed to decide what you decide. Where it frustrates me is when we think that every choice is uninfluenced by the society that we live in because I think to say that is to pretend that forces haven't shaped us since we were born and then if if we were to pretend that that was the case then we would kind of be pretending that we didn't need feminism at all yeah and I think it's important to have these discussions maybe I'm wrong maybe you're listening I don't think to you this. are I have just been trying to like fire you up a little bit on the side of this mic <laughs> but maybe you at home are listening to this and thinking she's wrong she's being judgy she's being whatever but I still think regardless of whether you agree with me it is an important discussion to have because if we just let these things happen we lose track of what we're trying to achieve and I think we're trying to achieve a world where women and men are more equal and the juxtaposition of men and women on red carpets right now is a pretty stark one and a pretty confusing one to me. Oh, and it matters for sure. I think where we can end here is I would encourage anyone to, to think about how clothes actually make them feel. If you're wearing a nice dress that might have a thigh high split or sort of some sort of plunging neckline, which we have all done, I think it's worth considering why it makes you feel good. Fashion does have a huge impact on our psyche. Um, and Amelia Diamond, who, wrote for, who writes for Man Repeller, wrote this brilliant piece going through her sort of state of mind and her clothes. And she wrote, my dramatic hyperbole rhetoric of I have nothing to wear was always tied with I don't know who I am right now. And I think that's really important to consider is it's so tied up in our identity and that's why it's important for us to actually analyse why people wear what they wear. Agreed. My favourite dish. I like mugs because they're very comfortable in your hand and they hold the hot things that you don't have to touch. So, um, you know, coffee or hot tea. It's been the story of the week. Miss Australia, Miss USA and Miss Colombia were slammed at Miss Universe this week for publicly mocking non-English speaking contestants on an Instagram live. Miss USA, the one garnering the most criticism, seemed to mock her fellow contestants for not being able to engage with them as much in English. Mish, how did you feel as this story unfolded? I felt like it really pointed to the misguided belief that English is the default language. We feel so entitled to our own language that people refusing to learn it or know it is almost offensive to us. Yeah, and so otherworldly, almost alien-like. Yeah, it's that alien mentality. It's yeah. like, how could you not know English? When the funniest thing to me is, 
how many of those women, Miss Columbia, I'm guessing, is bilingual, and perhaps Francesca Hung, the Miss Universe Australia, perhaps she is, but I doubt Miss USA, Sarah Summers, is, is bilingual, which just points to her hypocrisy. So for context, they were on an Instagram Live and Miss USA was talking about her fellow competitors. One was Miss uh, Cambodia. And she said, could you imagine Miss Cambodia is here and doesn't speak any English and not a single other person speaks her language? Poor Cambodia. Then she went on to sort of imitate another, uh, another competitor, which was Miss Vietnam. She said, she's so cute and she pretends to know so much English. You ask her a question and after having a whole English conversation with you, she goes and she sort of just adopts this placid smile. Mm. She's adorable, Summers said. It's so infantilizing. Isn't it? It's so infantilizing. I thought it wasn't surprising that Diet Prada was one of the main players to pick this up. And they said basically this is what normalized xenophobia looks like. If she's trying to show empathy, the condescending, intolerant tone tells a different story. A reminder you're participating in a competition in a country slash continent where English is not the primary language, Mm. which is the biggest irony of all. They're in Thailand. It's important to make a distinction as well. The Miss USA was the perpetuator of what happened. And I feel like Miss Universe Australia and Miss Universe Columbia, while they did sit by her and giggle at what she said, I'm not sure they deserve the amount of vilification that they've been on the receiving end of. I don't know if they've got nearly as much as, as Miss USA, though. Miss USA is the one making international headlines. Miss Australia is, is understandably making Australian headlines because we are probably more invested in what the Australian contestant is doing. Sangeeta Singh Kurtz um, wrote for Courts this week how Diet Prada is sort of a huge force in these kinds of conversations. And um, she sort of linked the Miss USA conversation with the the Dolce & Gabbana conversation that we spoke about a couple of weeks ago. And she said both Miss USA and Dolce & Gabbana displayed a stale brand of patronizing condescension towards Asians that white people have mostly been forgiven for in the past. And I think that's a very good point as two white people sitting here trying to have this conversation. It's kind of one of the first times that I felt like this has gained the kind of momentum and legitimacy that the issue probably deserves. Mm. And I think, of course, people are going to be outraged because I think it was very ignorant and rude what went on in that Instagram live. I think we do need to speak about the fact that we've probably all been in the position that the two women flanking Miss USA have been in. Perhaps we haven't been racist, but I wouldn't mind betting that we've all stayed silent and fucked up in that respect when people have said offensive things about race. I know I have. I know that particularly around the Christmas lunch table or dinner table, family members and relatives had said something in the past where I've felt uncomfortable and offended by it, but I won't say anything because it's not the type of situation where I feel like I can do that. So I think we really need to cut them a little bit of slack. Yes, I think they were in the wrong. And yes, I think they shouldn't have giggled at what was being said. But they were also having someone live stream the conversation to 300,000 people. And none of us can really relate to that. And I'm not 100% sure that in that situation, I would have stopped in that second and gone, you shouldn't say that in the situation that we're in. No, I agree with that. But if we're not going to stop people in that situation, or we're not going to stop them around the dinner table, when are we going to? And if we don't do that, how do we actually have meaningful conversations about privilege and race and our own ignorance if we're not pulling people up oh absolutely and i think it's a valid conversation to have i do want to talk about english being seen as the default language because i did read a really interesting piece in the conversation which was by a professor of cognitive neuroscience which said when english provides a phenomenal opportunity for global communications its prominence means that native speakers of english have low awareness of language diversity this is a problem because there is good evidence that differences between languages go hand in hand with differences in conceptualization of the world and even perception of it I think so many other countries are bilingual. We know that they are because they have to adapt to English. And our ownership of English and feeling like people have to know our language to communicate with us is so insulting to half of the world. It's so rooted in, I think, this idea of Western or American exceptionalism where we do have the glorification of the English language. It's kind of the idea that we're at the center and everyone else is expected to fall around us or exist around us or fit around us. There's something also when we're talking about this so patronizing about the use of the word cute when we're talking between races. Mm. I 
really believe that if you are calling someone cute, regardless of who they are, I do not think you consider them on the same level as you. You know what it feels like? It feels like she's calling her dumb. Or a child. Yeah. Well, the whole infantilizing thing we were talking about earlier, but it almost feels like you don't know English. That's so stupid. Yeah, that's so adorable, which is another word that she used too. But I think the idea that you can be adorable or cute when you're using it in this context is so condescending and so patronizing and worth flagging too. It's not just the ignorance that's important here. It's the tone. Yeah, absolutely. One concept that I found this week that I found fascinating, which I'd never come across before researching this topic, is coined by author and researcher Robin D'Angelo. It's called white fragility. So white fragility is the disbelieving defensiveness that white people exhibit when their ideas about race and racism are challenged, and particularly when they feel implicated in white supremacy. So that's talking to when people are called out, particularly white people, on subtly racist things. For example, calling other cultures cute or women of other race adorable. That's holding white supremacy and racism in place because we are so fragile and we have such a thin skin that when someone dares to call us ignorant or dares to call us racist, we immediately put our barriers up and our defensiveness goes up in saying, no, we're not. This is just a misunderstanding. Yeah, that's absolutely it. And it's the idea that racism seems too strong of a word for what this is when in fact it's absolutely not. It seems like it feels like we're so scared of acknowledging our own internal racism that we can't even address it. I think it plays into the ignorance of us saying that we don't see race. And I've thought about this a little bit in the last couple of years, the more educated I've tried to be um, on this, in that, of course, you and I as two white middle class women growing up in the city don't see race because it's never been a hurdle or an obstacle in our life. Ignorance is a hard one because I think the ignorant often don't mean any real or actual harm, but that isn't the point and I actually don't think that's important. Shaming people into being thoughtful is the only way forward, no matter how fragile it makes people feel, no matter how outraged it makes people feel. Usually I'm not one for shame, but I think in this kind of scenario when we're talking about race or we're talking about privilege or whatever it might be, it got a, it kind of has to be a really strong public shaming. So we all think, wow, this is a really serious thing that I need to either read up on, learn or understand. I get it. I get it. And when I was being defensive of the, of the women involved before, I don't want it to seem like I'm apologizing for them. I've just read some of the comments on social media and it feels like it's not the way forward just to completely slam these individual women who fucked up. I'm not saying they didn't fuck up. They fucked up. But some of the comments on their social media, even Miss Columbia and Miss Australia, have you have you gone through their photos? Yeah, it's well, they've bad. turned comments off. It's bad. I'm talking When I'm talking about shaming, though, I'm talking about a Diet Prada kind of shaming. Yeah, and I feel like it is productive. And I think the mistake that so many of us make, and I definitely made when I was younger, is assuming that our whiteness is almost colorless. Because we are so blind to color and privilege, we almost consider ourselves as colorless people and then yeah. there are colored people and colored minorities and we're just the default race which is so damaging there is no racelessness we are all parts of different races and i think we are so guilty of feeling like whiteness is a default and english languages are a default of course that's how we feel because think about how sort of makeup is branded or anything like that when you talk about um nude color yeah. is, is very white so i think when we're talking about sarah rose summer's comments it exactly plays into that idea that she's the default and everybody else fits around her i i still think that unfortunately we have to have uncomfortable conversations where the people at the center of those conversations feel deeply uncomfortable and deeply publicly shamed in order for people to realize how serious of an issue it is and how these attitudes aren't okay it's sort of this casual racism that you do hear around the dinner table or you do hear around drinks and it is important to pick people up on it no matter how uncomfortable you might feel doing that well i think the ultimate paradox here as well is that francesca hung is biracial so i wonder how she's feeling right now going through this because she has a chinese father and she grew up in an asian household and she spoke to sbs in june saying i felt like sort of different a little bit embarrassed by my cultural heritage growing up and now it's something that i embrace and i'm so happy to be different i want to inspire and be a role model for any multicultural kid growing up so i wonder how it feels to be in her position right now because i'm sure she regrets that video and i'm sure she regrets what goes down and she's a part of what 
she was giggling at. Yeah, which feels kind of the most bizarre thing of all. I don't know. I wonder how white Miss Universe, particularly Miss Universe USA is, and how many of the followers of pageants in the US would really care about a racism scandal. I think the pageantry culture there is quite right wing. Maybe, but I think she'll struggle with brands. She will struggle personally. Yeah, people won't want to touch her for a while, Mm. for sure. And perhaps rightly so. Like I said, I think maybe this is the only way forward. It might sound harsh, but I think it kind of is. Yeah, yeah, it's difficult to sit in but I think if any of us can do anything it's that it might be uncomfortable and it might make our skin crawl but we need to not be bystanders when we hear or see something that is racist and ignorant and offensive and it's difficult but even around the Christmas table this year if you hear something or if you see something that doesn't sit right with you and is racist call it out because the more we can do that and the more we can push towards that the less these incidents will occur yeah exactly hey I think that's all we've got time for today I think it is thank you so much for joining us for episode 40 of Shameless before you go I do have an announcement to make that we need your help on for our final in conversation episode of the year we are handing the microphone over to you zara would you like to explain this is true so we want your questions whether it's your questions about any kind of pop culture event of the year whether you want our opinions on something else whether you just want to share your own opinion and for to join the conversation too, record a message on your phone and send it to us yes so you can email it to us at shamelessthepodcast at gmail.com all you need to do is as zara said quick voice recording probably cap it at about three minutes because we don't want them to be too lengthy and we are going to compile them all and answer them all in the final episode of shameless so please do that that's email shamelessthepodcast at gmail.com we will make sure we put it in an instagram story in our facebook group and in the show notes if you forget that email address in the meantime please keep sharing when you're listening to the show you know how much we love it put it on your instagram story from wherever you are in the world we love seeing it and that's it, I think. Or Facebook group. I'm just going like, <laughs> to plug anything. Just come join the Facebook group to Shameless Podcast Community and then I swear we'll let you go. And that is it. Thank you so much, guys. Last episode next week. Oh, my God. Not ever. No, just for a little break. We will see you guys next week then. Bye. Hello, guys. Mish here. I am the co-founder of Shameless Media. Thank you so much for giving us your ears and your mind and your time. We're so grateful. If you enjoy the stuff that we produce, may I recommend our brand new podcast, Style-ish. Style-ish, if you want to say it quickly. Style-ish, if you want to take the long way through. It is our podcast for all things fashion, brand, business, and beauty. If that is in your wheelhouse. If you care about style content, you will love this show. It is, of course, more than just a show as well. It is a newsletter. It is an Instagram feed. It is a TikTok account. There is so much good stuff going out on Stylish every single day starting now. So in your favorite app, search for Style-ish. Give it a listen. Give it a follow. We are an independent media company and we would be so, so grateful for all your support. That's all for me, guys. Check out Stylish and have a good one.